he is the one or she is the one that feeds your spirit with the word of God. Exhort and to um, count worthy of double honor means how do you value the men and the women that are placed in your life? And in, in, in this, and I did a little studying and meditation and research, what they meant in this scenario about double honor, back then it meant taking care of them financially. Well, in this day and age, it's not just about finances. We all have our hardships. We Some people have more than others. But don't always take at what you can give as financial. What can you do with your skills that God has given you? What can you do with your time? I remember years ago uh, when I was just getting divorced and I was coming up in the body of Christ, one of my biggest pet peeves is I can't afford to do anything back then. And every time somebody said anything about finances, it really hurt. It stung me deep down because I wanted to help so bad, but I couldn't. So one day God confronted me, what skills have I given you? And you have plenty of time. So I started giving my skills and time to the pastors, to the church, to family, to those who needed my help. I couldn't financially help you, but I had the wisdom or understanding, the skills that God has given me over the last 40 years of my life to be able to help you one way or another. And I have time after work or on weekends or whenever I don't have my daughters to do whatever I can to help you. So in modern days, that's how I value and that's how I honor my spiritual parents. That's how I honor my brothers and my sisters. It also states to honor widows. Now, we don't really have widows that much in, in this house, so I'm not going to go into widows that much. But there's a whole section on how the Apostle Paul says or speaks about how we should treat our widows. They're just as important as any other person. And a lot of times in the past, the widows always gotten forgotten because their, hum- their husbands passed away, their children either weren't around or they didn't have children, but somehow, some way, the widows always got forgotten. So that's why in the early churches, the apostles started anointing special people, men that had specific traits to be anointed and go out and help all the widows because the apostles felt it was more important to pray, seek God, and preach his word. And that's where leaders started coming out into the church um, view. But I want to state, it says, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. So let's change this a little bit. It's not just about widows. How about any parent, any woman, or any father that has kids where their teenagers disrespect them at every turn they can? you got to remember... One of the commandments states that you should honor your father or your mother. And this also states how you should treat your parents. It's your job to take care of them when they get older. Thankfully, I don't have to do that with my parents yet. But I have been, and I'm going to say it this way, I have been blessed to be living with my grandmother for the last 10 years. But I can't say that I felt that way for the last 10 years. God had to work in my heart. Because I used to get frustrated a lot with my grandmother because my grandmother's stubborn. She doesn't want to listen. She's pushy. So God really had to work with me on honoring my grandmother in a greater way. So I'm not exempt from this. I, too, was faulted in this aspect. She may not be my mother, but she is my grandmother. And I have the ability and the duty to take care of her because guess what? And I'm going to say it live, no one else in my family does it. Ask my nephew, how many people come over to the house to see my grandmother? None. None. The only person you ever see come through that door is my mom. My uncle, the only time I see him is maybe at her, on her birthday, maybe Thanksgiving, and maybe Christmas. Never see him. My, other, my aunt, who just passed away, and my, her husband, my uncle... Moved to Florida. Half my cousins never come. Moved out of state. So there's nobody in the family to take care of her. So I would be held doubly accountable 
if I did not choose to accept God's will, he put me there. He used my grandmother in a time where I had nowhere to go. If it wasn't for her, I would have been homeless. So how selfish of me to complain about the stupid little things that I was dealing with. I had a home, roof over my head, food on the table, somewhere I could put my girls so they could sleep over and spend time with my daughters. How selfish was I? But I thank God that he has changed my heart. Uh, We're going to go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 4 states, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love in any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So here's another one where Apostle Paul was sending a letter to a different city, same issues. He's telling us how we're supposed to treat one another. Now, if we read the Gospels, Jesus Christ himself states how we're supposed to treat treat people, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But it's also talk about how we have to be like-minded. It states that how we're supposed to be Christ-like. We're supposed to represent Christ. We're supposed to imitate Christ. People are supposed to see the light of God in us and through us, pouring out of our pores. But because of selfish ambition, conceit, and so many other things, people see us for what we truly are, but we can't even see what we truly are. We're too blind and we want to ignore who we've become because the truth is painful. In this world, and you can see it out there right now in the public, the world does not like the truth. They don't want to hear it. They want to make up their own truth. We all know as Christians, everything we do is based on God's standards, not man's standards. Because if you go by man's standards, Emily's standards is different than mine, than Carmen's, than Sandra's, than Radimus. If we went by that standard, there would be wars all the time because we're all fighting. That's not how it's supposed to be. God's standards is overall, it's mighty, it's righteous, and that's what we're supposed to be living by. But people choose not to do so because they're selfish. They want it their way, not God's way. God's way may not be pretty at first, but trust me, it's better. When I first accepted Jesus, I didn't know what it meant, and it was painful for me. He made me face every deep issue I had deep down in my heart that I had buried, that I totally forgot about in my entire life, from the abuses, my father not being there, and so many other things that I totally forgot about in my life. He had to heal me from that. How much has he had to heal you from, and yet you and those who are watching are still being selfish? Because we're not stepping up to our full potential. We, we each in here, plus those watching, have so much potential. But what is holding us back from using that potential, using the skills that he gave us? <clears throat> and it states, but also for the interests of others. He's telling us one of our main duties is to take care of each other. We're supposed to help one another out. And I'll explain that in a couple of minutes. One of the major ways we have to do this, and I must give you four steps to go by, but without God, nothing's imp- nothing is going to work for you. I have tried it so many times. I thought I knew better. Every time I got to a specific point in my life, I'm like, yes, I got it. I forgot about God. I started trying to do my, my stuff, my way, my thing, and I started to fail again. I start pr- and I have to admit, yes, I'm a minister. I'm up here. But I had my issues in my walk in the last 10 years where I didn't feel God, so I felt disappointed. People said stuff to me. Didn't see it happen. Felt disappointed. I've, 
felt so many different things in the last several years that without realizing it, I let disappointment and offenses and many other things pull me back out of the walk of God. Not completely, because I could still see God was in my life. He was still blessing me. I still heard him from time to time, but not the way it should have been. And that's when one point he confronted me, it hurt to realize I let such a distance become between us. And when I saw that video that Pastor did, uh, was it last week or two weeks ago? That broke me because I remember when that was me because I let that distance happen. I didn't mean for it to happen. I let my daughters get in away. I let life get in away, my job get in away. I let things happen and I neglected things I should have been taken care of. I wasn't taking care of people the way I should have. I hate to say it, but I was. I was getting frustrated easily. I was getting angry at work. I see things that were so wrong, people getting away with it. But then I realized I was judging people, and I had to stop. Because I was supposed to be supporting them. I was supposed to be helping them. I was supposed to be teaching them. But I wasn't. God confronted me pretty hard in a lot of ways over the years, and it's for my own good. And I have to thank God because I would not want to be on this stage. I would not want to be preaching if I still dealt with these issues. Because me trying to teach you guys dealing with these kinds of problems, I'm actually going to hurt you. And I don't want to do that. And one of the biggest things I always pray to God about is I don't want it to be about me because I want to be a blessing to my brothers. I want to be a blessing to my sisters. I don't want to be the one that's going to be ignorantly hurting people. Because there's people out there that are false prophets, you've heard about it a lot, that are so anxious and willing and happy to use the word of God as a weapon against you because you're ignorant to what the word really represents, what the word means, how to use it as, in God's intended way to do so. That's why God said, I mean... That's why when pastor says, if you're not looking at the word when we speak and when we preach, you better run because you're, you don't know what we're talking about. How you get to defend yourself if you're not looking to see what we're saying is the truth? If you're not praying to God is what he said the truth. So all I can say is step one, if your heart is away from God, reconcile with God and ask God for forgiveness. Pray that that chasm disappears because the next couple of steps starts with that. So step number one, you have to humble yourself. In a book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 4, it states, By humility and the fear of the Lord. Now remember, fear doesn't mean I'm scared of God and I'm running. Fear of the Lord means I respect God so much that I don't want to disappoint God. I fear the Lord so much. I don't want to anger him. I don't want to do anything that's going to pull me away from him. That's the kind of fear of the Lord we're talking about. By humility and fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Now remember, honor means value, what you value. But I want to, I want to talk about riches a little bit. Riches does not just mean finances. Get that out of your head. You could go talk to a poor man who's on the street that has a dog that has only his wife or only his kids, and they will think they're the richest person on the planet because of the deepness of their love, their commitment to one another. You'd be amazed at the kind of people you could talk to, and I've seen it and I've talked to people where I've even seen a homeless person with nothing but a dog try to scrap food every day, and he felt like he was the richest person on the planet. Because he had his dog. It's not about the money. It's about what's in here. It's about what God has placed in your heart. And it's love, respect, support, strength, and so much more. For me, I can feel like I'm the richest person on the planet. Because I have two amazing daughters. I have an amazing parents. I have amazing spiritual parents. I have amazing brothers and sisters in this house. I could say I'm the richest person on this planet. It's how you see life. Life is not about finance. It's not about material. 
It's how you value the things God gives you. And that's especially the people in your life. <clears throat> also, by being humble or humility, it's you're not being proud. You're not being selfish. It's knowing when to admit you're wrong. If you can't admit you're wrong, you're never going to grow. You're never going to learn. You're never going to be edified. You're never going to get where you want to be in the walk of God. You're never going to get in his presence like you want to be because you're so uptight and stubborn and selfish that I'm not wrong. You're wrong. Trust me, I've lived with a person like that. It's a living nightmare to always feel like you're never right. And every argument I've ever had, by the time that argument was done, I was so drained of life. I went to bed every time. I could be wide awake. I could be prepared to go out, to go to movies, to go hang with friends, to do anything. The minute I got in a fight, I was so drained of life that I could never do anything. I felt like I, all the energy was just sapped out of me. That's what happens when you're not willing to admit you're wrong. Look at the damage you do to other people. Now, in this case, sometimes I was wrong and I admitted it. But when you're trying to fight somebody who refuses to see the wrong, they're going to suck the life out of you. And that kind of person you can't be around. Now, the problem is it's hard when you're married to the person. Unfortunately, I didn't know God back then. Part of me wishes I did, but I know God had a plan for everything. I know God didn't want the divorce. Trust me, I fought tooth and nail to prevent it from happening. She, it got to the point where she, I kind of felt like, and I can't say she did, so I don't know what was in her mind, but I almost felt like she wanted me to hate her guts, so I would just leave the way I was being treated. So I gave her her wish, as much as I didn't want it, because I saw it with divorce happens. My parents got divorced. <laughs> Believe it or not, both of my step-parents have been divorced, so my parents divorced people that have been divorced. Some of my best friends have been divorced. Like, I see the damage divorce does in families' lives. I was desperate not to allow that to happen to my daughters. I have no, when I see desperate, you have no idea how desperate I was. <laughs> I was willing to go through hell longer to prevent my daughters from going through the sting and pain of a divorce. I didn't want it. I fought it. I lost. But I have to thank her. I really do. On, on YouTube and Facebook, I thank you, Christine, if you're ever watching this. Because if it wasn't for you giving up on me, I would have never met Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that truthfully. I really believe it wasn't for that moment and what she did to me, I would have never met Jesus Christ. Or if I did, it would have been way too long or way too late. And then trying to raise my daughters up in the Lord was probably going to be way harder. So I have to thank God, as painful as it was, it was worth it. So again, by humility and fear of the Lord and riches and honor and life. Value life, value the riches that God gives you. Not just money, value your family. Value your family more than anything. Forget the house, forget the lawn, forget the cars and your job. If you don't value your family, who cares? What good is it if you're working all the time and you never get to enjoy life? And I'm going to say this because I love my brother. I love my brother. My brother is always working. Every time I call him, he's almost always working or doing something, working multiple jobs. I get why he's trying to do it because he's trying to start his own business. So he's working one job. He's trying to build the clientele and experience and um, the, um, the relationships with people. But... What good is having all the money he's making to not enjoy his wife, not to go out, not to travel, not to do anything with family? He, he, he's, he's, my brother is bitter, and I hate to say it because I love my brother, but my brother is bitter. He's exhausted, and he does nothing with, with his life other than going shooting, which is fine because I know he enjoys it. That's great. But what else does he do? He doesn't, as far as I know, and my nephew could probably test with it, I don't know how much he actually does with his wife. So I hope that people never get to that point where they're putting their jobs first. And I did that too. Not because of that scenario. 
I did it because in my mind, I felt like I had to do it to provide for my family. We were newlyweds, just had a daughter. We had um, my student loans, an apartment, a new, brand new car. So I felt like I had to work multiple jobs just to provide for my family, to get myself out of debt because of my student loan for, um, for school and many other things. And, of course, making a lot of stupid decisions about what to buy, stuff that all ended up in the trash at some point over my lifetime. So I've learned the hard way and what to value and what not to value. So take it from me, please. Family is more important. Because when I realized after my daughter, I think it was Cyanna turned 10 and almost broke my heart, realizing that since Cyanna was born, I only had one Thanksgiving dinner with her. And I never had one with Mia. Because for 10 years, I always worked at Bright Nights on top of my other jobs. When I realized that, when God brought that to my attention, I said, no more. I gave my notice, and I haven't been back since. I refuse to work multiple jobs, and God's been taking care of me. I've been paying my tithes and offering, and people have heard my testimonies in some of the classes I taught. It wasn't easy, but I, even though I did it when I was complaining, I started to see God's promises. I started seeing him work. And I stopped complaining and I started thanking God. And I've left it at that ever since. So humble yourselves. Number two is forgiveness. Forgiveness from what? Offenses. Forgiveness for past sins. Forgive those who have sinned against you. In Luke chapter 17, verse 3 3 and 4, it states, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day he returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, in the book of Matthew, it talks about the same thing where he says, Lord, should I forgive my brother seven times? And the Lord says, not just seven, but seven times 70. He's basically telling us our, our forgiveness should never end. It should be constant. Even if somebody offends you every minute of every day that you're awake, you're still supposed to forgive them. Why? Now, here's the key. Why should you forgive them? What did Jesus go to the cross for? He, he could have said, forget you all. I'm not going to get whipped and beaten and hung to a cross until I die, bleed to death, just so that you could be petty and not be forgiveness. He forgave us on that cross. He paid the ultimate price on that cross for forgiveness. So how how dare you not be willing to forget those? I mean, forgive those who have harmed you, who have sinned against you, stepped on your toe, cut you off, yet you're not willing to forgive them. Remember that the next time somebody offends you, remember what Jesus did on that cross for you. So, and I want to give you a quick testimony on forgiveness. If you don't forgive people, it becomes a poison to your soul. Think of it as the more you do not forgive people, the blacker your soul gets because it's poison in you. If you forgive people, God keeps you clean. He helps you stay clean, but you have to do so. It's not easy to forgive anybody. It's hard, but if you're willing to try and you're willing to fight for it, it can happen. Even if you have to forgive the person every day of your life, for years, keep fighting to forgive them in your heart, you will succeed. And how do you know if you truly forgave somebody? Based on how you react when you see them, when you hear their voice, when somebody mentions their name, you'll know, you'll know if you truly forgive them. So the reason why I want to give this quick quick testimony about my ex-wife was, this was my turning point in my life with my ex-wife and knowing that in my heart I finally let it go and I finally forgave her. One day I was talking to somebody and they gave me, um, they called me aside and I'm not going to say who it was. They said, I had a dream about you and your ex-wife. I don't know if it was from God. They admitted it. I don't know if it was from God, but it felt so real and I felt like I needed to tell you. So in the dream, the person told me that my ex 
was not going to live to see her 39th birthday. That she was, um, I don't know, I already remember the dream word for word, but it has something to do with like enough was enough. God took her. She didn't live to see her 39th birthday. So when the person told me that, and I went home that night and I was meditating on it and during prayer, I started praying for her. I actually started crying. And I actually felt in my heart like she died. Like in that moment, I felt the, the sting and the pain of her passing away. Now, she's not my wife. I still care about her. I still love her. She's the mother of my children. But in that moment, I finally realized I was healed from everything she did to me and everything I allowed to happen to me. When you're actually crying because you feel the loss or the potential loss of somebody that harmed you, that's a good key to knowing you've been healed, that you've actually been, you set yourself free from, from all the unforgiveness you held towards that person for years. So I thank God for showing me in that moment when I was crying and I was praying for her that I had actually forgiven her. And now, just so you guys know, she is 40. So I don't know if the dream was real. I don't know if it was meant as a warning. But I just thank God for it because it really was a clarification to me on where I stood in my walk with God, where I stood with her, and where I stood just mentally about forgiving people. So it goes to show how important forgiveness is and how it could be redeeming. It's like taking a ton of bricks off your shoulders. It's so relieving. Uh, number three is fellowship. First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 says, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you other by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. And Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25 states, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, if I... Remember how I read that in one of the Bibles I read? When it's talking about so much more as, the, as you see the day approaching, I'm pretty sure that means the day of times. It's the day approaching when Jesus comes. So there, he's warning about when we fellowship, and it is mandated that we should fellowship with one another, that we edify one another, we lift one another, we help one another, we show them love, we teach them, we, sh we, we spread our knowledge, our wisdom, our experiences, especially with youth, because it's our job to pass on what we learn to the younger generation. Now, I know the young, younger generation doesn't like to hear what we have to say, but we've been around a lot longer than you guys. We've been there, we've seen it, we've done it, and we're trying to prevent you from making the same mistakes we did. Now, we know you're you. You're going to make your own mistakes. But if we could prevent you from making some of the major mistakes we did, it's our job to do so. And if we don't, God's going to hold us accountable for it. And the fact that we love you so much is why we push you, why we tell you, why we throw temper tantrums to you, because you won't listen. And think about it this way, because I actually said this to my daughter one day, and it was one of the hardest days for me. It was shortly after the divorce where she was acting up. And I said, this is going to hurt me more it's going to hurt you. If you keep it up, I'm going to hit you. Now, I don't like hitting my daughters. I've only ever hit her twice in her entire life. And at that point, I was at the end of my ropes. I didn't know what else to do. We're in the middle of a store. She's acting up. She, she had a lot of anger towards me, so she's mouthing off. I said, keep it up. Watch what happens. And I smacked her. It hurt me to do so. And years later, we were joking around. I said, this is why we teach you guys. This hurts us more than it hurts you. Now imagine God. How much does it hurt God when he has to discipline us? I couldn't stand the fact that I had to hurt my daughter. I don't even like yelling at my daughter. I don't like correcting my daughter, even though I do. Kids, you, it's more painful to us when we have to pull you aside, when we have to talk to you, when we have to lay down the law to you because you're headed down a road you don't want to go and you're too stubborn to listen to us. It hurts. 
wait until you're a parent. If you don't believe me, wait until the day God gives you kids. And then you're going to wish to God you listen to your parents more often. <clears throat> and the other reason why we're supposed to fellowship, God always talks about how we're the body of Christ, how he comes back for his bride, meaning for all of us. Pastor Millie stated uh, within the last couple of weeks, the devil will try to isolate you, to destroy you. God knows if we do anything on our own, we're going to fail. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to us. That's why he calls us to fellowship in churches and with one another. Because, and even Pastor said it, if I recall last Sunday, when he said the reason why the wolf tries to get the sheep alone is because he, if that sheep is by himself, he could get them. But if he's in a herd, it, they can't attack it. The enemy is a wolf. We, the Bible states how we're the sheep. Jesus himself uh, states about how he would leave 99 sheep to go for one, meaning us. So he meant for us to fellowship with one another because we protect one another. We look out for one another. If somebody's behind me, I can only see so much, and the person behind me sees the other direction, and so forth and so forth. When we link arms like a chain, it makes it so much harder for the enemy to break through. To break through our prayers, to break through our families, break through the church, the body. We have to fellowship with one another because if we don't, we're going to be torn apart. May not, maybe not physically, but spiritually, we're going to be so poor and hurt and destroyed that what happens, the Bible states it, I believe Dave is talking about it, the hearts of many are going to grow cold and walk away from the Lord. That's why we need people around us to help encourage us. We're, even myself, I struggle. I have plenty of sisters and brothers in here, along with my spiritual parents, that help me. My daughters help uplift me. I uplift other people. If we weren't here to help each other, we would fall fast. So remember, fellowshipping is important. It also helps prevent the spirit of... Um, division to come in from the house because when we fellowship we get to know one one another we begin to love one another like real brothers like real sisters i mean how many people in here i actually call you my sister i have more family in this room than i do out there in the world i mean when i call you my sister it's not easy for me but when i'm at the point where i'm calling you my sister or i'm calling you my brother it's because in my heart i feel it And yes, that takes a lot of trust to do so to open your heart, but it's possible. The last one we're going to talk about is number four, support one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 10. And then I'm going to bounce around a little bit in uh, Romans 12, 13 through 21. So 9 through 10 states, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. And what's preference mean? Act of giving advantage to one or somebody else. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to do everything equal. I'm not supposed to give Carmen a little benefit, my brother Dave a little benefit because they're in with me. I have that little click. We're not supposed to have clicks in church. We're supposed to have ministries in church, but we're not supposed to have clicks. Clicks destroy organizations, churches, families, cliques are unhealthy in every way. Trust me when I say this, I work in a place that since the day I started working there, there was nothing but cliques. And I saw the damage these people are doing. And even though they tried to come after me, they tried to come after Pastor, they tried to come after Chris. And if you ask Chris who's still there and who's gone, the cliques are gone. We're still standing. Not because of us, because God has protected us. We did our best. We did our very best to treat each other as brothers, treating the other people we know that are um, believers at where we work, like brothers and sisters, treating guests and patients like they're family, like they matter. When you do stuff like that, God honors you, and he will protect you as long as you continue to do so. Um, 
also support one another. And verse 13 states, distribute it to the needs of the saints, give it to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, and bless, bless and do not curse. So we're supposed to help one another. If we know a brother or sister is in need, especially in the house, it's our job to help them if we're able. If we can't do it, but we know somebody else can, talk to somebody, help them out. For example, let's say I have two lawnmowers, and I'm try- I don't use one, but I find out Radimus just bought a new house, doesn't have one. Hey, bro, I have an extra one. You want it? That's blessing my brother. What do I need to for? I, maybe I had one and somebody decided to give me one because they were moving away or they didn't want it anymore. Use what you have to help others. Especially bless and do not curse. God calls us to bless everyone at all times, especially those who curse you. Uh, there's, a, there's tons of scriptures in the, the Gospels where it pretty much states, what good is it if... You bless your mother, but not um, somebody who hurts you. Even sinners do that. He's calling us to something greater, to show something that is greater. God's love will bless anybody, especially sinners. So if we're supposed to be Christ-like, and we're supposed to bless one another, even if you hurt me, even if you step on my toe or destroy my car, I'm not supposed to curse you. Judgment falls on God to God alone. And along with cursing. So if you curse somebody, you better be careful what you're doing because it could bounce back to you. It could it could come back tenfold to hurt you. Or if it doesn't do it to you, it might do it to your kids. Because it goes to fourth generations, tenth generations, hundreds, thousands of generations, depending on what you're reading in the Bible and what situation you're talking about. And my brother Dave could attest to it. Sometimes it says up to the fourth generation, up to the tenth generation, up to the thousandth generation. That's cursing and blessing. So be aware, be careful who you put mouth on, who you try to bless, and who you try to curse. Um, Repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil. A little further down, it states... Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So again, you don't, just because somebody does something to you, it gives you no authority, no right to do anything against them. Like I've tried to tell many people I have dealt with at work, my daughters, friends, people I don't talk to anymore. There's been times stuff has happened that has... This is, how, this is how good God is. Even when I was a normal material tech, a normal employee... For some weird reason, everybody in my department always came looking for me to vent. Like, I had the power and authority to do anything. And I never understood that. But after a couple years of it happening, I kind of just get the hint that God was using me for something else. So many times, I would teach people, especially in abusive situations. I said, when my daughters were little, I used to tell them the same thing too. Because I'm trying to teach my daughters what to look for and what not to look for when they get old enough to start dating. I said, if any man ever puts his hand on you and they already start to think of what I'm going to do to him, because I've had a lot of jokes with my daughters about what I'm going to do to anybody that decides to lay a hand on my daughters, but that's not where I'm getting with this one. I said, if any man ever decides to lay a hand on you, first and foremost, there's nothing he could do or you could do on this planet or in all of existence that would dictate he has the right and authority to ever hit you. So I literally told them, there's nothing you can do that would cause him to hit you. Because you know how some people say, well, you made me do it. No, you didn't. You chose to do it. I can't do anything to make you hit me. Even if I put a gun to your head, I can't make you hit me. I mean, come on, really? It's your choice. So we're not supposed to um, repay that back. It's not easy. It's not hard. It's definitely not fun. But God has a promise behind that. And he say, the word says, vengeance is mine. Not, being, not me and mine. God says, vengeance is mine. Your job is to treat people the way Jesus treated everybody, with love and respect at all times. Judgment is coming to everyone. So for those who continue to walk down that path and not repent, 
they will reap what they have sowed. Your job is to try to get them to see the light of truth, get them to see Jesus and pray that they will be saved as well and be saved from that condemnation and those consequences. Now, there's always consequences even if you accept Jesus because let's say you're uh, an abusive relationship or you've killed somebody. You may accept Jesus into your life. You may try to turn your life around, but at some point or another, you're probably going to get caught for what you did in the past and you still have to pay that consequence. But spiritually, you're saved. Physically, you may have to go to jail and pay for what you did, but spiritually, you're saved, and that's, what's, that's what matters. Um, uh, i got a couple of minutes left. So uh, when we're talking about supporting one another, that's in the church. Now, everything I've talked about tonight, please remember, everything we do starts here, starts in your homes. But you also got to remember what we do, what you allow, what you accept, reflects who you are out there in the world. So you have to remember at all times, you never know who's watching. And that, that means whether you're doing something good, it means whether you're doing something bad. Now, here's an example. One day, Dave and I left church, because we're always the last one out of church, because we have stuff we have to do. And we just happened to go to the exact same place. But he beat me there, and I, I'm sure you probably remember this. So he, we, we both had to go to Big Y, so he, he happened to go there first, and I saw Maria and Dave walking through the park a lot as I came around. They didn't realize it was me. So I pulled up really close to them, and I, I shouted out the window at them, and I forgot what I said, and they, Maria jumped. If she jumped any higher, she probably would have been at Dave's back. <laughs> she jumped. But if I didn't see them holding hands and him treating her like the woman and the love of his life that she is, imagine what that would do to his, not only his um, identity and his integrity, imagine what the rest of the world is going to start to see knowing that he's a Christian. Forget people wanting to accept Jesus. Like, he beats his wife. That's how he treats his wife. I don't want to accept Jesus. I mean, I might as well just stay how I am. At the same time, the exact same day, I went to Big Y. He didn't know why I was there. But when I talked to him after the fact, he's like, I figured it out. I didn't even have to tell him because we ended up going to the same restaurant after. Now, how funny is that? We go to Big Y. I run into him. I, I beat him out of Big Y, and I go to a restaurant because I had a date. So I was buying flowers because he didn't know that. So he shows up to the restaurant. He's like, I know because when he saw me the the, uh, the next Wednesday, he's like, I know what you're doing. Because <laughs> he knew I was, he, I didn't even tell him. He said, like, you bought flowers, didn't you? I'm like, he knew it. I didn't have to tell him. So the fact that I had a date and my brother knew I was treating the woman like she should. For her first date, I'm bringing her flowers. I'm showing her that I care enough to want to start out right. Instead of just showing up looking like a scrub, not bringing her nothing. I got to be my best because if I really wanted the relationship to go anywhere, I got to treat her like how she's supposed to be treated. So again, you don't know who's watching you. So you got to be careful at all times what you're doing when you're out there because anybody can watch you. I mean, anybody can see you. There, and I try teaching my daughters this all the time. Every time we go out, everywhere we go, I run into somebody I know. So I can't even hide let alone my daughters, because my daughters know if they do anything, somebody's going to get it back to me. Now I know how my brother felt when we were growing up, because my dad caught everything my brother did. So if I work for a company the size I do, I run into people from school from the past, how am I going to hide out in the public? So this is an example of why you have to be careful with everything you do out in the public, because eyes are on you at all times. You don't realize how many people you know where you go is exactly how many people see you. And we're supposed to be Christ-like. We're supposed to show people the love of God out in that world. So remember how you're behaving when something happens with people around. Because you don't know exactly how many people know who you are or know you go to church because they saw you get out of the car that has the Christ or Jesus symbols and the cross and all that. And they're going to start to spread word about you. How about them helping them spread the love of God because they see you do something amazing as opposed to what a fool. Look at him doing what he's doing. He says he's a Christian. 
So to end this up and wrap it up real quick, here's two things I want to show to or explain to you as proof of how we're supposed to behave in the world. And this comes from Jesus Christ himself. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 12 through 13. Now, this is important because this is how it starts. This is my commandment. So Jesus is starting out. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that laid down one's life for his friends. He also says in John chapter 13, just a little earlier, the same exact thing. But it also says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So again, be careful what you're doing when you're out in the public. And he says, to love one another is a commandment. It also states, when you show somebody real love, not just church people. I love my brother. Now, he doesn't serve God at all. I, don't even, I pray to God that someday he does. But I love my brother. I show my brother as much respect as I can. I try to honor my brother as much as I can. I try to show him God as much as possible without saying it because I don't want my brother to get pushed away. So I'm trying to be strategic with God's help and how to allow my brother to see God through me. So, again, even with sinners, we're supposed to love them. And God commands it because... The word states that love covers a multitude of sins. So think of that. If you think you're struggling in your life and you're wondering how am I supposed to do what God called me to do and how am I supposed to get to heaven and be taken up in the raptures because I keep sinning and doing this. If you love somebody, if you love anybody the way God loves you and you truly love them from the bottom of your heart unconditionally. Now, unconditionally is not easy. It took me years to understand what that meant. And God forced me to study love, which I, I developed a class through God's um, encouragement. And I kept studying and studying about love. I got to the point where I started to understand what unconditional love meant because I started to feel it a little bit. And I started to experience what unconditional love meant. So if I know even a small a bit of what unconditional love is, now it's my duty to start doing that to everybody else. Because if I know what that is and I could do it to my daughters or I could do it to certain people, now I got to push myself a thousand times harder to do it for everybody. Because he holds me accountable and it's his commandment to love everyone. Now before I close, the last scripture I want to bring up is the first of Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. It states, I charge you before God, and this is coming from Apostle Paul to Timothy, his spiritual son. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Now, prejudice means preconceived judgment or opinion. And in some cases, it means irrational attitude of hostility. Directed at anybody, any race, any group, any sex, etc., etc. If you're doing anything in prejudice, with prejudice in your heart, you're already far from love, you're already far from God. He tells us that we have to serve these things without prejudice. It means we have to treat everybody exactly the same. Doing nothing with partiality. It means you favor no one above else. You tr the way I treat Dave. I should treat Radimus the exact same way. I should treat Carmen the same way. I should treat Emily the same way. I should treat the person who walks through that door for the very first time the same way. Even if they're soaking wet, crawling in here, I have to treat them with as much love as everybody in here. Because that love would actually get them to receive God, get them to a better place mentally and a better place spiritually. You have no idea what people are going through. And God is only asking us to show them the love of God. They need it. There's people out there that are alone, they're desperate, they're hurting, and you have no idea what a simple gesture could do to somebody's life. When you treat people with love and respect and honor, you'd be amazed at the, the, um, the celebrations and the parties the kingdom of God's got to be having. Because more and more of his children comes home. The more, the more celebrations they have, 
because we are remaining in him. The angels wish they could do what we do. But they can't. They're not allowed. God wants to use us. He chose every one of us to be here on this earth. Now, the Bible says many are chosen, or we're all chosen, but a few are called. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll skip that for another time. So again, as I'm closing, just please, everybody. Amen. That's why I love my brother. <laughs> he always keeps me on my toes. And we always have battles about food, too. So, uh, And that's how, we, that's how our love has grown. Believe it or not, when we first met, uh, you know, it was a little rough trying to get to know each other. But over time, we've always, we started challenging each other with our food dishes and how we cook. And many other things have caused our relationship to grow. My relationship with Sui and Christina has changed. My relationship with Carmen and Emily has changed. Miss Ruth. The more we get to know one another, the more love comes out, the more we respect comes out, the more other people see it, the more they're going to want it, the more they're going to show it to others. We're supposed to be the living examples. So remember, when you're going out tonight, be that living example that God called you to be, desires you to be, and expects you to be. I am Mr. Wayne LaPointe here at the Resurrection Center. I pray that you have a great night. I invite you to join us on Sunday at 12 p.m. for another amazing session with Pastor Jose Martin. No, Apostle, our apostles preaching this weekend. So if you've never come, I, I invite you to come down and check us out. Uh, if you're not ready to come to the church yet, I at least implore you to keep checking us out on uh, Facebook and YouTube. You can check us out on all social medias at TRC413. You can also check us out at uh, Resurrection Center, ResurrectionSpreefield.com. We dot org. Reset Spring on um, YouTube. Again, I thank you for taking your time to watch this. I hope this was edifying to you and it touches your heart because this can change your life. And this can change, more importantly, many other people's lives. We love you. We thank you and have a blessed night.